0: Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, Epiphany Fellowship. I've been giving the privilege, honor, duty, and responsibility to stand behind the sacred desk and to proclaim thus saith the Lord to you today. I do this with great intrepidation, so pray for your boy. All right? All right. Um, Today we're going to be coming from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. As you turn there. I want to give a shout out, give honor where honor is due. First, I want to give thanks to Dr. Eric Mason, Pastor Dr. Eric Mason. Um, The Lord saw fit to have him to be my spiritual father and even given me an invitation for me to shepherd alongside him. Not just him, but some other dope brothers that's in the vineyard. Dr. Reverend Pastor Bishop Mark Lyons, MC Pastor uh, Mac Doulas, Reverend Vernon Mobley Jr., Pastor uh, Niren Burke, and am I missing anyone else? Oh, P.C. Oh, the one I'm supposed to be standing in the gap for today. <laughs> charge it to my head, Bishop. I'm so sorry. But yeah, um, some of the dopest brothers that I know, men who love God, men who love you, they love God's word and they labor in the text to be sure that you are healthy, you are protected from unsound doctrine and the ravenous wolves that's out there on the block. So we're going to dive into this text. And then I want to thank and shout out to my beautiful bride, my queen, my sons, Thank the worship team. Thank my family for being here. Thank you all, media, the whole squad. All y'all, thank y'all. Deuteronomy 6. If y'all can read real nice and robust with me. 1 till 9. Y'all should have it by now. 1, 2, 3, go. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands. I'm giving you your son and your grandson and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper Multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your Father, Israel, the Lord, the Lord is with Father. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words are given to you in your heart. Speak them to your children. Talk about them. City in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, bind them as a sign in your head, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Amen. The series, uh, well, you know, this this is a continuation of the recentering series, and the title for today's topic is. The greatest commandment the greatest commandment let's let's pray let's pray gracious God and father Lord it's me again your humble servant Lord um, I come before you just asking for your grace and your mercy and your power and your strength this morning I am but dust actually I'm less than dust. You said the nations are like dust on a scale. If the nations are like dust, how much more just me? Lord, I come to you asking for your grace and your mercy upon us, your people. I come with Epiphany Fellowship, the congregants of your church on my heart this morning. Having the, the the privilege and honor of being able to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim what thus saith the Lord, God, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. I pray that you would use my flaws, use my idiosyncrasies, use crooked as I am, you can draw a straight line, and you can paint a mosaic and a Picasso that's out of this world. I pray that the hearts of your people would melt like wax and that they would be encouraged, they would be exhorted and be admonished to be faithful and be committed to you. And wherever we need to realign or be recentered in our lives, help us to do just that. I pray for your blessing. I pray for your grace, your mercy, and strength. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. May be seated. May be seated. So, I remember growing up, you know, I wasn't always the way that I am that you see me now. I don't know how you know some of you may know me, some of you may not. Some of you don't really know my backdrop. Um, you know I wasn't always saved <laughs> in case you didn't know <laughs> in case you didn't know. Um, I wasn't out there in the streets, but I knew dudes that were, but I was rambunctious, you know, my mother can attest I. I gave my mother a hard way to go, and um, I was a very self-righteous, very, you know, I liked to cuss. I was always ready to fight. I was never really able to do any of those things because I feared my mother. <laughs> I feared my mother, but I thought I was a righteous dude. My grandmother gave me a Bible; it was an old, old King James, you know, and I would read it and. Little did I know that the Lord was slowly drawing me to himself. I didn't know that the Spirit of God was, you know, using his word to kind of slow walk me to salvation. But I, in my own, thought that it was all me, and I was perfect. I literally said that, and I told that to some people until I actually had a run-in with the Lord. And the Lord helped me to really see how dysfunctional and how really broken and how messed up I was. Israel is in the same, Israel is pretty much the same. I would, you know, trust Jesus and now reading the Bible, and I would see how God drew Israel to himself. Israel was a nation that was promised to Abraham, his seed will be as plentiful as the stars if he could count them. They were in bondage for 400, 450-ish years, and they cried out to God for deliverance. God raised up a deliverer, Moses. And he delivers them. God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. And God called him separate from the rest and to do a unique work in delivering the people. God did miracles for them. He delivered, he delivered them from Egypt through the plagues. All ten. Vicious. If you know, because, you know, Egypt had gods for everything. And pretty much every plague combated those gods. Until he struck the final blow with the God of death, taking out the first, the the progenitor of everyone in the land. Anyone, whether you was Egyptian or Israelite, if you didn't follow these specific instructions, death was coming to your door. Right. God led them through the wilderness. They got to the Red Sea. They started to have a panic attack. God was protecting them from Pharaoh and his armies through the pillar of fire Uh, uh, during the day. No. Pillar of fire during the night and cloud during the day. Kept them, cool at the, you know, kept them cool during the day, warmed them up at night. But the miracle, the Red Sea, he parted, led them through the wilderness, brought them to Mount Sinai. God reveals himself, gives them the law. They started to rebel. God is having intimate conversation with Moses, laying down the law. Hey, yo, go down and check the people because they acting a fool. God, you know, Moses come down and sees the people erected a golden calf. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. What? God, through Moses, Moses demolishes the commandments, broke the tablets, grind them up, threw them in the water and made everybody drink them. And then he goes on to annihilate all those who were against the Lord. Anybody who stands with the Lord over here, anybody else, give them the business. Executed them, right? Now they're going through the wilderness. God has shown himself faithful many, many times over again. And yet they murmured, they complained, to the point where they actually forgot what it was like for them to be in captivity, being under their oppressors, being in bondage, and being enslaved, to the point where they were like, man, I remember when back in the day... We used to be down at the Nile, the good old Nile, and we used to have some onions and leeks, some fish and some onions, negating that the masters would whip them, beat them, pillage them, murder them, extort them 24-7, seven days a week. They reviled in their hearts towards God and then did so towards Moses and Aaron. Moses was actually standing the gap. And intercede on their behalf so now it brings us to you know Deuteronomy where God is giving himself to the people of Israel or reintroducing himself to the people of Israel by giving them the law Deuteronomy means the second giving of the commandments it's not that the commandments weren't given but it's being given a second time right And at this particular time, God is doing something unique with the people of Israel and initiating a covenant relationship with them, right? Are y'all with me so far? All right? All right. So in chapter 5, we see the Ten Commandments being laid out. Those are also called the Decalogue. Oh, man, what happened? Hear with me. All right, so the Decalogue was given, right? Verses 1 to 21. 22. 22 to say 27 you see the people's response moses is speaking to the people but the people they're like ah look the lord our god has shown us his glory and greatness we have seen and heard his voice from the fire today we have seen that god speaks with a person yet he still lives but now why should we die this great fire will destroy us too if we hear the voice of the lord any longer for who out of mankind will hear the voice of the living God speak from the fire and have lived. Go near and listen to everything the Lord our God says, and then you can tell us what he say. I don't want like we don't want to be close to God because he's too he's too terrifying for us, right? So here you see in verse 31, God speaks with Moses, you stand here with me. I'll tell you every command the statutes and ordinances you are to teach them so that they may follow them in the land that I'm going to possess, that I'm going to give them to possess, right? He says in 32, be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are not to turn aside from the right or the left. Follow the whole instruction of the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live prosperous in the land, you, prosperous in the land, you know, live long life, et etc., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Which brings us to our chapter. So here in chapter 6, Moses is re- reintroducing not only the law, but the significance of them being obedient to the law, them entering the promised land to experience the, be- the benefits and the blessings of-, of being obedient to the law, and then the-, the necessity and the significance of rightfully passing the baton. Which leads me to you know, our beginning points, right? In the opening verse of this particular chapter Moses sets the stage for again as I mentioned reintroducing the laws the statutes and the commands to people by the way of giving them firm clear instruction to fully observe and to pay utter attention to being fully obedient to God Yahweh right This alludes to a point and 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 you know points back to chapter 4 verses 1 to 2 where it says, now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land. You see this being repleted or repeated throughout scripture, especially throughout Deuteronomy. This is the very thrust in the heart of the law. The Ten Commandments is the very, is the very epicenter of the law, or In other words, the the, the commandments, the Decalogue, or the Mosaic law, right? The purpose in Moses giving, instructing, and teaching the people was for the sole purpose of them so that they may follow him, right? To follow and obey, to obey these divine ordinances, meaning that they had to adhere, they had to pay attention to, and they had to do what was instructed. Otherwise, they would not experience the benefits or the blessings of what God had prepared for them, which was in the promised land. If they didn't obey, they were going to experience, like, you know, I tell my kids, there's consequences for everything that you do. You can choose to be wise. You can choose to be a fool. But whatever the case, whatever you choose, there's consequences. If you walk in obedience, there's consequences. Great blessing. If you choose and you walk in disobedience, there's consequences. There's great suffering, right? In this case, here, God is talking about the curses and such, right? The goal, was, the goal was Moses trying to, the goal that Moses was trying to accomplish was not his own, but that of Yahweh, that of God, the God of Israel, right? That they would fear the Lord. He wanted to strongly emphasize this idea and this point. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs describes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The beginning of wisdom. If you fear the Lord all the days of your life and passing it on to your sons and their grandsons, the generations after them so that they would have long life. Let me ask this question. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? Should I be terrified of him? Should I be so, you know, should I be afraid or in such a way like, you know, like, like, you know, as kids, they're afraid of the boogeyman. They're afraid of things that they don't know. Are we like, do we fear God? What does it mean to fear God? I think there should be a measure. There should be some of that to some degree. But what does it mean? To fear God means to reverence, to stand in awe, to hold in utter high regard, having a worshipable high level of respect. In simpler terms, I tell my kids this all the time. You can tell me if I'm wrong, Chubby. Fearing God means to take God seriously. Do you take God seriously seriously? Do you and I take God seriously? If you take God seriously, how are you navigating life? How are you making the choices and the decisions that you make? Why are you making the choices and decisions that you make? Then I would have to go back to the first question. Again, do you fear God? What we fear most, most, and can sometimes be an indicator of what we love, what we worship, what we prioritize, or what we make a central theme in our lives. If you fear a particular thing other than God, I would dare say that particular thing may possibly trump your. That, that may trump the God of Heaven upon the throne of your heart. Are y'all with me? Y'all sure? Y'all with me? All right. Evidence of having a reverential fear of God results in and is displayed in full obedience to what he's commanded to his covenant people, especially if you've been made a part of his covenant people. In this case, Israel, they had to do and obey what his word commanded him. The byproduct of that obedience is the consequences, as I described earlier. The consequences or the blessings of walking in obedience. Walking in obedience to him. The prosperity and dwelling in the land. For them, they were going to the promised land. God promised them that he was going to deliver them and take them into the promised land. Which was the land of Canaan. And this was the land of giants. God promised to clear the land. Prepare the way for them so that they can prosper. They can experience the benefits and the privileges of being in a land that is flourishing without them having to do any work or anything to cultivate it so that they can experience the resources from it. But all that came as a result of them hinged whether they're going to be obedient to what God has said, right? Verse 4 through 9 is where I really want us to kind of simmer down a little bit. Right. Verse four. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Verse four. It's here that I really want us to really zoom in on and pay attention to. That particular passage, verse four, is identified as the Shema. The Shema. Say it with me. The Shema. The Shema is the 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 most fundamental truth of Jewish, of 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 Jewish religion. What the Jews hold fast to, as well as what we as orthodox Orthodox historical Christians believe. What we believe is hinged on this truth. Because you have to understand back then in um, ancient northeastern well, not Nor'eastern, um, ancient, what is it? In the Mesopotamia, Babylon, in that particular region of the, uh, of the globe, they believed in the idea of polytheism, the idea of a pantheon of gods, a myriad of gods, the way, you know, those gods were actually created in some very, you know, questionable ways. You know, they were created, you know, like, you know, they... They would, you know, they would relate with one they would have relations with one another, another god would come forth. I don't, you know, I don't know how, but that's, that's what research, researchers would say, right? Other gods would give birth to other gods, and, you know, they believed that the sun was a god, they had a god for everything. but. This statement, listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one. This is central and important for us to understand because it's pointing to the idea that God is unique from all the rest. There is no other God that exists in all of the cosmos like Yahweh. Yahweh is in a category all by himself. Listen, the 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 the, the Pantheon gods or the gods of Of old they were created at some point however the God of the Bible always existed from eternity past he never had a beginning he never had a beginning he does not have an end he is the greatest cause of everything that exists in the cosmos seen and unseen visible and invisible he is self-sufficient and because of this reality he is unique He's in a category all by himself. The human language doesn't even do a sufficient, adequate job of being able to clearly, rightly articulate part verbs, adjectives, nouns, to be able to describe the massivity of who God is. Typically, you know, when we talk, we talk like, you know, God is like such and such and such and such or such and such and such and such. We use other things to kind of paint an illustration of sorts, to kind of help us to get the picture of what a particular thing is like. But God, we can't do that. We don't have enough words in the human vocabulary. to If you were to run all the languages together and make up one new language, there wouldn't be enough verbiage in all of human experience to clearly articulate this divine truth. English is the bottom of the barrel in regards of the languages. (laughs) I speak broken English, but there's not enough words to articulate and to describe the massivity and the beastiness, the huskiness of the uniqueness of our God. This idea that the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It's pointing to one, when it says that the Lord is one, it's saying that let me, let me slow up. Let me, I'm, backing, I'm going to back up a little bit. All right, pause. This phrase, it's called the Shema, but it's also uh, a prayer that our Jewish brothers and sisters, they still use to this day, and they, they recite it twice a day. right? If y'all can put up that slide with the different variations. So these are the different translations in some of the English Bibles that it would say. That's some people would say, oh, well, you know, that translation is different. It's wrong. Well, this is, it's, it's saying the same exact thing, right? It's saying the same exact, again, this is a problem with English, y'all. The Lord is one. The Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord is one. The Lord is unique. The Lord alone. Here O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. Here O Israel, the Lord our God. It's saying the same thing. But again, the central theme is God is one. There is one God, one true God, one true God. But in the oneness of God, there are, there are three distinct, co-equal, eternal parts in the Godhead. There's a, how can I say, there's, there's a combination of plurality. And unity that exists. God is just so like that. It's it's kind of hard to articulate. Are y'all are y'all checking with me? i some of y'all looking like y'all days. Like I'm I'm not trying to come, you know, confuse any of y'all. Are y'all with me? Y'all with me? All right. So when it says that God is one, God is God is is saying that God is unique. He is unique, he is unlike any other. He's unlike any other. Right? Yahweh was to be the sole object of Israel's worship and allegiance and affection. The word one is not so much as a title, it's not a title as an adjective of quality. God is one in the sense of being complete. He's all the way complete and unique. Theologically oneness is a distinctive quality of the of the of the Hebrew God in contrast To polytheism of all the other ancient religions, conveying this again this idea of monotheism. Say it with me, monotheism. Monotheism. That means one God, right? Poly, many, mono, one. Biblical monotheism was given a practical and existential expression which would lead to the abandonment of other views. You know, some people, they believe, and even back then, the Jews, they believe that other gods exist, but, you know, hey, my God is more superior than yours. But no, nah, the Bible says, no, only God exists. There is no other gods, right? The Old Testament does not explicitly, explicitly teach a doctrine of the Trinity or the plurality of the Godhead. It's implicit. So, in the Old Testament, it's not, it's not like the New Testament. The New Testament is very intentional and in your face about the triunity of God. But in the Old Testament, it's pregnant all throughout the scripts. It's not the forefront of the conversation, but it's sprinkled all throughout, from Genesis 1 all the way to Zechariah, right? And there's some passages. I don't know, these are some, some, these are just a teardrop in the ocean of passages that you can actually see how God has revealed and manifested himself in, you know, throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, right? I got two points for you all. I'm going to be out your way. Two points. Being obedient encompasses our whole entire being. Being obedient to God encompasses your whole entire being. Verse 5, this is a continuation of the previous verse. In essence, this is what is mandated, and this is a fitting response to all of God's covenant people who are being granted access into an exclusive relationship with himself. In in, in verse 3, he said, listen, Israel, be careful to follow them, obey them, do them, so that you may prosper and multiply greatly, because the Lord, you know, uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. But here, he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Right? The command in verse 1 is the epicenter of the central theme of the whole book of Deuteronomy. So, let me... Romans, the book of Romans is... The commentary, the greatest commentary that explains the nuts, the bolts, the mechanics, the peanut butter and jelly of how the gospel works. Did y'all get that? Those who was with me and equip you, y'all know what I'm saying. Right. The God, Romans explains thoroughly how the gospel works and what it is. Deuteronomy explains, it's a commentary on how the Decalogue or the commandments work and they're to be flushed out throughout relation with the covenant people. Does that make sense? Does that that really make sense? Are y'all with me? All right. So, this this is a central idea. This is a central idea because it's pointing back to the renewal of the covenant with God and Israel and how that's to be played out. The confession of the Lord, the confession of the Lord's unique oneness leads to the proper demand that Israel recognize or acknowledges. Acknowledges him as such as being fully obedient to him in all that it implies. In covenant language, obedience is construed as love. That means to obey is to fully love God. If you say that you love God, then you would fully obey what God has commanded you, right? You will fully do what his word commands, right? For the, Israel, for the people of Israel, it was for them to observe the law, right? Observe the law. In covenant terms, love is not so much an emotion or sensual. It's not a feeling, Love is not something that you feel, you feel good, or, you know, you got the warm butterflies in your chest. You know, you got the lovey-doveys or anything like that. It's not that at all. Love is something that's commanded, right? Love is something that's commanded. In covenant terms, it says that though it's not, you know, now, now, it can be. Like, love can be an emotion. I mean, you can, you can feel that way. That's, that's the overflowing of walking in obedience, right? But the nature of love is an obligation. The very essence of love is an obligation. It is a demand. That's something that you do and that you follow, an action that you take, right? It is an action because of who and what he is in regards to his people God is the one that elected them. God is the one that chose Israel for himself. They didn't look for him, he he already had them in mind well before they were born. God chose them. God was the one who came and rescued them. God was the one that delivered them from bondage. God was the one that that parted the Red Sea for them to walk on dry ground. God was the one that sent the plagues that disrupted all of Egypt's economy, shut them down, pillaged them all, robbed them of all their, not robbed, gave them all of their supplies, gave them all of their resources, led them throughout the entire wilderness. When they were hungry, gave gave them chicken aka quail they wanted bread, he gave them manna. they were thirsty, he gave them water. oh this is too bitter he made it he made it sweet. He turned and he made it sweet. after having done all of that led them through the heat, y'all know in the desert it gets a hundred anywhere between and 120. Maybe 150, 120 degrees. Kept them cool during the day. When it's at night, temperature drops anywhere between 50 or 60. It gets cold, he warmed warm them up by the pillar of fire at night. Protected them. Kept their shoes, their footwear from wearing out. They complained. Complained. And they still reeled against God. They still reeled against Moses. They reeled against Aaron. And God was ready to wipe them out. And rightfully so. And you know who stood in the gap? Moses. Moses stood in the gap as a mediator. He was the mediator between God and Israel. Because God was ready to annihilate all of them. And by right, he had the right to do so. Because they kept railing against him. Right? They kept railing against him. God is the only one who by right can demand, rightfully demand, And place that type of expectation on the people of Israel because he redeemed them for himself. How much more for you and I? When God places a demand for you and I to love him, it almost sounds crazy. It almost sounds arrogant. But we all know God can't do anything. We all know that God can't do anything wrong. He's never done anything wrong, nor can he do evil. But God is the only one who can rightfully do so. And if we don't, there are repercussions for that. Right? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. If y'all can put that up for me. The heart. The heart represents, in Old Testament anthropology... It points to the seat of your intellect, equivalent to the mind or rationale, the part of the human, of, of, of mankind. Your heart is the seat of your affections, your desires, your will, right? That thing that makes you want to, why do you do, why you do what you do? I don't know. I, every time my son does something, I ask him, why did you do that, son? I don't know. And I'm like, you know, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You interact with people, you talk to people, you treat people the way you do because it stems from your heart. You walk in rebellion because it stems from your heart. You're addicted to substances or whatever your addiction is because your heart is, is corrupt. That's why we need a brand new one. We need a new heart. We need an upgrade. Because the one that you got, assuming if, you're, you know, if you don't know Jesus, the one that you have is trash. It's dead. It can't respond. That's why we, you know, the Bible says the things that we want to do, we don't do. The things that we don't want to do, we always end ourselves doing. Because our hearts are corrupt. The soul. The soul points to the best way to describe it. It is your being. It's the very essence the very isness of who you is. It gives definition to who you are as a person, your very existence. This defines you. This points to your personality. This talks about your character. This is, this is where everything about, that makes you colorful as an individual, whether you are square, triangle, or circle, whatever. <laughs> what, whatever your flavor, I'm not knocking, I'm not. I'm, I'm not you know what I'm saying? Whatever you are, you could be an introvert or an outrovert, whatever you are, it points to your soul. It's the invisible part of the individual. Strength. Strength is that physical side with all of its functions and capabilities. You have mobility, dexterity of your limbs. I can stand on my own two feet. I can clap my hands. I can move. I can run. And... Y'all know how it is when, you know, you watch a favorite game, you play or whatever, you see your team winning, and you, you know, you explode with, ex- with, 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 with excitement. Dude, y'all know how, y'all. come on, y'all, don't, don't leave me out here. Y'all know what it is. Y'all know when you watch your favorite team and y'all just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 I don't know how to just, this. <laughs> whatever that is, that's, that's, you know what I'm saying, that requires your, your strength that girth, you know what I'm saying? I can't even put words to it. You know what I mean? But whatever whatever that is, <laughs> whatever whatever that is, God wants all of that. God demands all of that. All of that. God is like, "Yo, that's mine. Like I worship me. Worship me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of you." You know what I'm saying? Worship the Lord with all of that, man. (laughs) Oh, man, help me, Lord. All right, y'all. I'm going to try to get out your way. All right. Um, Matthew 22, Matthew 22, um, 37, Mark 12, 29 to 30, Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Right? Here Jesus is, you know, in Jesus' earthly ministry, in Jesus' earthly ministry, you know, you have people always trying to trap Jesus, right? Messiah, oh, not Messiah, great teacher. They didn't really regard him as such, but, you know, they try to, you know, they try to pull up on him, and they try to catch him, you know, slipping, and great teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Well, you know, what, you know, what do you say it is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. And Jesus says, you know, Jesus would add, he would upgrade the law. And he would do things, he would say, and the second one is likened to the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? There are three; these three, these three instances where Jesus is having these conversations. They're each different, but the overarching theme is pretty much the same, right? God, help me. So they, they're trying to pull up on Jesus, and they, they're, trying to, they're trying to entrap him. But Jesus is saying, to love God is to love your neighbor. Yeah. To lo- you, you can't, loving God is horizontal, no, no, I'm helping y'all. Uh, boom, vertical. It's vertical. I'm off. Loving God is vertical. It's vertical. God commands that we love him. It's up and down. That's that relationship. But loving your neighbor is horizontal. Again, a beautiful picture of the cross. You can't have genuine, authentic. You can't say that you have genuine, authentic relationship with God if you don't love your neighbor. It's not enough. Like, you know, Jesus was always putting on blasts and always jamming up the religious leaders because they knew the law like the back of their hands. They were astute. They were the creme de la creme of the crop, but yet their hearts were cold as ice. In the first sermon, Pastor Mark uh, uh, described how worship was just so glorious and so beautiful because we don't want to be a people that's known and as identified as whitewashed tomb. Let me ask you a question: Are you a whitewashed tomb? If somebody was to pull, if Jesus was to pull up on you and look and examine at your life, would you be? What would you look like? Would, you, would your life look like? The, the, the whitewashed tomb was that of, that, you know, points to the grave or, you know, the heading of a tombstone. What would your life look like? Would Jesus look at you, at your life, like a whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones? You look good on the outside. You talk eloquently. You part verbs. You know scripture. But yet you fail to apply it in every area and every sphere of your life. Are you committed to Jesus in that way? I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to bark at nobody, but I ain't trying to miss nobody either. This is for us to recenter our lives on Jesus. Recenter. We need to be recentered. These words that Moses conveys to the people are very are the very linchpin and crux to what it means for Israel to express their love and devotion to God. His word was to be in. Your heart. My second point, treasure and safeguard his words in your treasure chest. Treasure and safeguard his words in your treasure chest. Where is your treasure chest? Do you have one? Where do you store it? Where do you store it? Where do you store it? it? Hiding God's word in our heart was an idiomatic expression, meaning that the people ought to be thinking about God's word, thinking about the commandments, meditating upon them, pondering on them, committing them to memory. Be in in one's constant, be in constant conscious reflection, consciously reflecting, pondering on what thus saith the Lord, committing things to memory. Some of the ways that you can do that, you know, you sing, if some of you can sing. Maybe you don't, you can't, but you know, you, you hear your favorite song, you hear your favorite song, Pastor <laughs> <that's a> Mark. <laughs> you hear your favorite song, you hear your favorite song, and just some lyrics just come to your mind, some, you know, whatever your favorite track is, it could be trap, it could be, you know, whatever. And you just, you know what I'm saying, R&B, dance hall, whatever. You just pondering that thing and you just, you know, and, you know, you, you know, you humming and you going through the day like, oh, man, that was my joy. Like, you know what I mean? And you, that's meditating, meditating on, on, on God's word. You're constantly pondering on it, listening to music. You're reading scripture. You're putting stuff posted all over your wall. Whatever you got to do to make yourself remember God's word. One of the ways that I'm teaching, you know, I'm, I'm striving, my wife and I are striving to teach our kids. When my wife was pregnant with, you know, with my kids. I laid my hands on every last one of them in the womb, and I prayed over them, and I would anoint her with oil, and I would pray over her and pray over the kids, and I would talk to them. Even when they were born, I would read for them. I would talk to them. We talk now, they're a little bit older, so it's a little bit different, so you know, we have conversations. You know, we would do things like, you know, one time we were watching this this awesome, I don't know if you all remember, uh, Voltron. Fire, right? The joint on Netflix, fire. The season was the joint was all the way, all the way. It was heat, smoke until the very last second, the very last scene, the very la- the last two seconds of the show. The most disturbing thing came across the sc- Came across the screen. They messed up the whole daggone thing. They had two. I love, listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not hitting any, I'm not throwing shade on nobody, but they messed up the show by having Shiro, that was his name, and his partner got married, lumped into each other's arms, and then they, seen, the screen went black. I now gotta have a conversation with my wife and my, with my kids. I gotta have a conversation with my kids about this particular topic, on this particular subject. This was back five years ago, and my oldest is 12. So now we gotta have these kind of conversations. You know what I'm saying? We go to the store. Daddy, what is that? Daddy, who's that? Um, let's talk about that when we get home. <laughs> I lied to you now. We gotta have these conversations. So these are, some of the th- these are some of the ways in which we're instilling God's word to them. When they mess up, they get disciplined. And having to teach them and instruct them what did daddy and mommy tell you? God say, obey daddy and mommy so that you would live long in the land. You want to live a long life, right? You better do what daddy and mommy tell you to do. <laughs> daddy and mommy love you because God has given you daddy and mommy as a gift to protect you and to watch over you. So you're going to catch these hands for your protection. you want to catch these hands because A, the Bible says Spear the rod. Hey, listen. The rod will guard them from the very pits of hell. That's my job and my duty. And I'm going to do it with excellence. To the glory of God, though. <laughs> Come on back, y'all. Come on back. So, so, all that to say, these are some of the ways, you know, teachable moments having good teachable moments to instruct and teach our kids, meditating upon them, right? And redundancy, constant ref- um, 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 meditating on them over and over time, right? Which would also produce a benefit of understanding the path of life and how they are to navigate upon and through it, imparting wisdom to their lives, all the while discovering the way in which God, God's love for them was to be expressed. Verse seven. Verse seven. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them. Write them on your, you know, on your house when you walk along the road. You know, when, you, when every opportunity you get, every opportunity you get up, you go to sleep. When you're sitting at the dinner table, when you're chilling, any opportunity that comes up to teach God's word, we gotta capitalize on teaching God's word to our children, to the next generation. Whether you got kids or not, if they're babies and they're little, that's your job. That is your responsibility. Just like you needed someone to instruct you and to teach you and to walk with you, to walk with us, we need to do the same. Look back. Pastor Mark waxed eloquently weeks ago when he preached on judges. The generation before them, this particular generation that we're talking about, they failed to pass the baton. And therefore, the babies that are now adults, they raised up, and now they raising Cain. They live in life running amok. they doing whatever is right in their own eyes. And the Bible says that, you know, they did whatever was right in their own eyes and not knowing who God was. So God had to send judges to rescue them, right? We have to be sure that we, we pay, you know, we, we, we pass the baton. Um, and uh, I pretty much... Oh yeah, so so again, um, having to be sure that we pa- that we pass the baton. This is pain. This is arduous care. This is painstaking care. This one this one um, 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 passage says the image of the engraver of a mount of a of a of a monument who takes hammer and chisel in hand, and with sp- with painstaking care etches a text into the face of a solid slab of granite. The sheer labor of such a task is daunting. But once the message is there, it's there to stay. And it permeates every single area of their life. They may run amok, but the spirit of God has something to work with. Jesus says, I send the spirit so that when the spirit comes, it brings things back to their remembrance and it will draw them back to himself. Verse eight and nine. This is just a further step uh bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates just take a steep just takes you know a further step and emphasizing the importance of the commandments in the hearts and lives of God's covenant people for them it was Israel but for us it's the same thing but following Christ whatever the case these signs were th- these these signs were to be done in such a way that it permeated beyond not only their personal individual lives, but it overflowed and spilled into their homes and even greater the covenant community at large. This was done in such a way that it was, um, this was done in such a way that it made such a distinction and impact on their lives, their character, their lives bled the very essence of what God's word was saying, Right? It showed up in their character and their conduct, and they were a blessing. There was a distinction from them, from the covenant people, and from the culture. We should be the same way. And as a result of this, their obedience to God's commandments as a response of love equal devotion and commitment to God. That's how our lives as brothers and sisters, as believers, as followers of Jesus, ought to be. I'm landing this plane. I'm, I'm done. I'm done so Jesus you know the old the Bible says we're to follow the commandments we cannot keep the commandments those commandments were given for the people of Israel going into the promised land that was for them but even then they still couldn't keep the law because it was to point them something forward it was pointing them to the time when Christ was coming right right Christ is the only way for us to enter into a covenant relationship with God, right? The Bible says in Romans, um, we're justified by faith, right? Jesus came not to destroy, but to fulfill the law. Jesus, believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection is the fulfillment of the law. So to, to to put your faith in Christ, you are fulfilling the commandments of God because Jesus fulfilled them. He's accomplished them. His life completed all of the righteous requirements of God the Father. And putting faith in him not abolishes but accomplishes that task. And therefore you and I are credited with righteousness. Right? His blood sheds on the cross for us so that we can have right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. You can't say that you love God and hate your neighbor. You can't say that you love theology, but yet, you know, you're, you know, you're not compassionate to your brothers and your sisters. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's it for today, guys. Um, I pray that your hearts was encouraged. I pray that you were challenged and blessed. Let us, let us uh, prepare our hearts for, for communion. Let us prepare our hearts for communion. I don't want to assume that everyone that's under the sound of my voice everything I was talking about was God drawing a unique people to himself to be in a covenant exclusive intimate personal relationship with himself maybe you may be here and you may have never you're, you're not a part of God's covenant people you may not be a part of the covenant church you may not be an intimate relationship with God. I don't want you to take this. This points to something greater. I want to encourage you to really search your heart and honestly ask yourself, man, am I a part of God's covenant community? There's great blessings and eternal reward for being with God. There will come a day when we will be with him and we will be like him. And we'll see him for who he is. But we must look to Christ for the atonement and the forgiveness of our sins. I want to encourage you, look to Christ. Put your confidence in Christ and rightly respond in obedience to the gospel. If everyone has had their the elements, please feel free and stand. If there's anyone that needs the elements but haven't received it, raise your hand. Feel free to raise your hand so... We want to be sure that you you get and able to partake. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, sat with his disciples, talked about what he came to do. His body was badly beaten, crushed, broken so that by our faith and our confidence in him our sins can be atoned for can be washed and because of that reality we've been given invitation to the very throne room of heaven where he is the epicenter let's eat together he took the cup blessed it he said this is this is my blood being poured out the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission or forgiveness of sin this in and of itself does not forgive your sin but putting your trust in what jesus has done for you is what saves you and rescues you from sin let's drink and reflect on what the messiah has done Let's pray. God, our Father, our covenant keeping King, Lord, how we bless you, we love you, we adore you, we make much of you, we magnify and we glorify your name. You are a God that is good. You sent your Son Jesus to fulfill all of what we are incapable of keeping and doing in and of ourselves, and yet, and still, you've given us an invitation. To exclusively and intimately to dwell with you and to be your people. God, how we bless you. We love you and we worship you. I pray that you would bless your people. That's under the sound of my voice. I pray that you will bless your people in their travels, in their goings, and all that they have planned for this coming week. Show them favor, watch over them, guard them, keep them, protect them. May your face smile upon them. May you keep them. May you show them and give them peace. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me give you the benediction. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another. And for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints, amen, amen, amen. Go in peace, God bless you. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you wanna help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as savior, based on his death, burial and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual emphasis